You know, as we continue our time in the book of Acts, I, I, I'm excited because today we're going to be talking about fight. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, fight. <laughs> this, is, this is really important because you probably did that on the way to church, right? <laughs> fight. <laughs> Round one, go. Uh, I know sometimes that can happen with kids and families on the way to church. If Satan's going to pick a day, it's going to be Sunday to try to stir up trouble and controversy in the family. But I want to tell you, thank you for being faithful to the house of God and coming and blessing other people by your attendance as well. Uh, you know, I, 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 look at, uh, I, I look at agreements and fine print whenever it's time to, to, to go through and I want to do something. Oftentimes, I'm going to see something that we call fine print. Now, Y'all know what I'm talking about when I say fine print because it's, it's usually that thing that is in front of a contract that you have to agree to. You know, it's like they use a different printer whenever they're printing it. They go from black to, to light gray and all of a sudden the font is about size three fonts and nobody reads it and you just, you just know you've been trained. Go ahead and click because you're not going to understand anything that it says. Click agree so that you can get on to the fun or you can get what you're trying to get. And, and that is fine print, but usually fine print was, was made for like buying cars or buying houses or, or, or stuff like that. But nowadays we've become, we've become so used to fine print that like you can't even check out at the grocery store when you're trying to buy a bottle of nose spray. You got to sign your name four times in order to buy a bottle of nose spray for your allergies. Like you have to click on fine print when you're buying a song online. It is crazy the amount of fine print that you and I have to wade through every day of our lives. I mean, I, I remember as a youth pastor, I would take students to uh, an event called Insomnia. Anybody ever gone to Insomnia with me? Okay, there's a few hands. Thank you very much. I appreciate you attending Insomnia. That was a tough one. <laughs> I feel like I owe an apology to everybody that went to Insomnia as an adult. That was a, that's a tough night because it's a lockout. And during the lockout, we have all these various activities that we do all through the night, and they're all very strenuous, all very big. And one of the events that we do is the trampoline park. We go to a, a, a trampoline park, and, and before the student can go to the trampoline park, we always have the students or their parents fill out a, a medical waiver in order to, to go. I remember on one occasion, there was a student, a young man that, uh, that did not have his medical waiver. He, he, he neglected, he forgot to bring his medical waiver with him. And he came to me with one of them that, that the, the trampoline park handed him. And he handed it to me, he says, Pastor John, could you sign this for me? Mm, I don't know about all that. I, I, as tempting as it was just to kind of you know, scribble a name and get him going. Uh, not only is that wrong, okay, because it's wrong to afford your name, but, but the other issue is that as you read through that medical waiver, what you discover is that, that if anything happens to that student while they're jumping on that trampoline, that, that the person signing it is medically responsible for that person up into and including death. I'm going to have to pass on that hard. I'm not about to be responsible for you. I can't even be responsible for me half the time. About to be responsible for you. Are you kidding me? No, thank you. I'm going to pass on that. See, the, the, but the problem is, is that that responsibility, that, that, that fine print within the contract. 
And that really always gets us, doesn't it? It's always about the fine print. As a matter of fact, one corporation over in, in London, they, they, um, they were trying to make people aware of the fine print and help them to understand what they were signing better or at least encourage them to read what they were, what they were going through. And so one of the things that they did in order to encourage this was they, they, they set up a, a Wi-Fi network, you know, a public Wi-Fi access in, in, a, in a big public place and one of the clauses inside of their fine print before they, you know, you click to say, I want on the internet. One of the clauses that this company set up was that they were to, and I quote, assign their firstborn child to us for the duration of eternity. Oh my goodness. Now the, the company actually had six people sign over their children before they decided to go ahead and put it, put it to end. Because, because they realized that the liability that they were incurring, they actually, this was a legal contract. And even though the company assured the people that they would not seek to, to take control of their children for the duration of eternity, the courts felt like they needed to weigh in on this situation and say that it is illegal to try to give away your children for services. Okay, you can't give your firstborn child away so you can access the internet for 10 minutes. I'm sorry. Some of you are like, I don't see the problem. <laughs> but you can't. It's wrong. It's wrong. Okay? And see, see, it's crazy that things have gotten to the point with fine print that we have to start having conversations like that. But it, that's exactly what I want to talk to you about today is fighting the fine print in Acts. Somebody say Amen. See, as you turn in your Bibles to Acts, the 15th chapter, I, I want to take you back a couple of weeks to what we had discussed with, with Peter as he had this vision on top of the rooftop of a sheep being let down from heaven with all these different animals in it. And the Lord said to eat. And Peter said, I don't want to eat God. I've never eaten anything unclean. And God said, Peter, don't call unclean what I've made clean. And, and, and then in Cornelius' house, he, that's the Gentile, the first Gentile in family that were saved. And they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so from that, there was a reverberating atmosphere throughout the Gentile nations around that, that found out that they too could receive, not only the, hear the gospel, but they can be a participant in the gospel, that they could give Christ their life, that they could trust God with their heart, they could become right with God. If they repented of their sins and believed in the name of Jesus, then they could be saved. And how powerful it was for these Gentiles to hear that. And it was reverberating everywhere throughout the region and it made its way all the way back to Jerusalem. And that's where we pick up our text this morning in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse one. We find where, while Paul and Barnabas were in, at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. Now listen to this. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now how is that for fine print? How is that for fine print? We have thousands of non-Jewish people 
hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ for the very first time, believing in the name of Jesus, repenting of their sins, and showing a real life change in their life. And these Jews, these Judaizers, traveled 300 miles to a different town and a different church to tell them that they were doing it wrong. They said that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. I, I need to tell you two things. First of all, if I hear that my kids are doing something wrong in another room, I have to debate inside of myself, is it worth me getting up out of my chair to tell them to straighten up? Y'all know what I'm saying? I mean, like it's a conversation with my, myself. It's like, do I have the energy to make that correction in the other room or should I see if this can work it out by itself? Okay. But here are these Judaizers, they hear what's going wrong 300 miles away. They decide that they're going to get on some kind of donkey or, 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 or hike it out there over several days to a different church to correct a problem that they hear. So you and I can understand that this is pivotal, it's central to, to what they believe is the way to, to, to be right with God. This is not a trivial matter to these, to these Jews, to these Jewish Christians. The second thing you need to understand about this is circumcision should never be a part of the fine print of anything. I'm just gonna put that out there right now. Like count me out, circumcision, no, sorry. Okay, that's a hard pass. So I want to keep on reading here. Acts chapter 15, going into verse 2. Paul and Barnabas disagree with them, arguing vehemently. Somebody say that word for me. There it is. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. See, I, I, I want to show you something. Thank God for believers that aren't willing to lay down and allow problems to occur. They, they are willing to stand up and take on issues directly. You see, I, I think this is an area in, in, in Scripture where a lot of believers get all mixed up because they, they say, well, well, Pastor John, the Bible tells us that if at all possible, we should live peaceably with one another. And so uh, perhaps we shouldn't argue with our fellow believer over issues of, of doctrine. And may I politely and most courteously tell you that there are a lot of people and a lot of things, a lot of people that are going to be in heaven one day that we didn't think we should be there. I'm just going to be honest with you. There, there are going to be denominations that you could have sworn right now shouldn't be in heaven that will be in, <laughs> in heaven. There are going to be people, your next door neighbor, you think is not living for the Lord, but perhaps you're not the judge of their life. They're going to make to heaven. But I, I want to also tell you something, that when it comes to the most important things in the gospel, when it comes to perhaps the most important thing in the gospel, which is what we're engaged with today, there is no room for error. There is no room for compromise. There is no room for the inclusion of other ideas. There is one way. There is one way to be right with God. There is one way to get to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is not Jesus plus anything else. It is through Jesus, by Jesus, and with Jesus that we find a right path to God. 
Whew, glory. Glad I got that one done early. I need to tell you something that there are times in life as a church that we can put doctrinal issues aside because they don't speak directly to the gospel. But in this moment, in this time, we have to hold true to the gospel and hold fast to what the Lord says about the way to salvation. For instance, there are times that we can look aside. There are issues like, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? Think about that. Did they have a belly button? That's a head scratcher. I mean, there, were, there have been seminary papers written about that. Isn't that ridiculous? Churches, I'm sure, have split faster over whether Adam and Eve had a belly button. I'm not sure, but I want to, you to know that I don't care whether they had a belly button or not. What do I care about? Is Jesus the only way? And the answer is a resounding yes. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. Hallelujah. You see, I'm not much of an arguer. I'm not much of a, uh, of a person for conflict. I, I like to keep the peace. I don't like to argue. You, you, can, you can ask the people around me. I, I, I feel uncomfortable in that kind of arena and that, that kind of atmosphere. But when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ and when it comes to making decisions that affect the kingdom of God, I want you to know that I will step up in boldness and in, dis, in clear decisiveness and issue what I believe is the gospel. Because it's through the gospel that transforms lives. It's through the gospel that people find freedom. It's through the gospel. When it comes to the gospel, we have to be ready to contend for the faith. See, I think that's where Satan's strategy was in the early church. It was a wonderful strategy. Because, see, his first plan is that people don't get saved. His first plan is that people don't find Jesus. His first plan is that people don't treat, trust Jesus with their life. But the plan B is that if they do, he's going to see to it that they start adding stuff on top of salvation. He's going to do whatever they can to make sure that they believe that it's Jesus plus something else. And for these Judaizers, it was Jesus plus the Levitical law of Moses. It was to try to add 613 unique variations of, of laws, of, of rules that a person had to follow in order to become right with a God Almighty above. And if they weren't able to do that, they were considered unclean. They were considered unworthy. And this issue was of circumcision was at the very heart, the physical manifestation of the inward circumcision of that law in their life. How must a person be saved? Is it Jesus plus the law or is it Jesus only? Satan's primary objective is to cause people to latch on to the idea that they participate in their salvation in some way, that they can control it. I want you to turn to somebody right now and I want you to point your finger at them and say, you are not enough. There's some of you that were a little quick on that, by the way. Mm. But fundamentally, inside of our hearts and our minds, we, we intuitively know this, that we're not enough in some way. That's why we trusted Jesus with our hearts and lives. We said that, we said that by, because we have sin in our hearts and we can't do anything about it, we, 
we came to the Lord and we repented of our sins and we, we trusted Jesus with our lives because we were not enough. But there are some people that would say, well, I'm not enough, but I trust Jesus, but maybe there's something else I can do. Maybe there's some way else I can, I can just do a little bit better than, than just trusting Jesus. Maybe I can just live a little bit closer to the Lord. And these people are kind of like people with control issues. No, 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 no. Nobody in here has control issues, I'm sure, right? Wave your hand up in the air if you have control issues right now. Okay, I'll tell you what. Wave your hand up in the air if, you're, if the person sitting next to you has control issues. There it is. Yeah. I knew I was talking to my people in here because the truth is, is that I've got some control issues in my life. I want to control things all around me. I want to start by controlling my kids. I mean, that's why I had kids, isn't it? You know, I needed, I needed to be able to control somebody because <laughs> I knew I couldn't control my wife sometimes. I mean, she, 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 uh, she's a good lady for putting up with me. I'll tell you that right now. I, I want to I let you know that she... she misses this place like crazy, and we are getting close to being able to bring this little baby back into this sanctuary, into this church. He started off as a real skinny little wrinkly guy, <laughs> and now he's starting to chub up and have big old cheeks, and he's, so, he's getting close to being able to be here. I, I, I look at my children like that, and I want to I be able to tell them, right, I want to be able to tell them what to do. And then I want to tell them how to do it. And then I, I, I want to be able to look at what they're doing and tell them that they're not doing it right. And then I have this way of kind of sneaking in and start doing it and say, you look at me while I do this. And then I want to walk away and complain that they didn't do it. I mean, that is like a very picture of control issues in my life. And and that spills over into everything that I do. And it's my desire to try to take control of everything I can because it, it makes me feel safer. It makes me feel better. It makes me feel like I, I can do something about it. But when it comes to, to salvation, whenever it comes to Jesus, I have to submit my control issues. I have to submit before him and trust him with everything and believe that it's, it's him and it's him alone and that it's nothing that I can do in order to become saved and in, in order to become right with God. You see, there's no other way. But some 2,000 years later, we're still dealing with the same issue of whether it's Jesus plus something or it's just Jesus alone. We're still dealing with this issue and Paul and Barnabas were willing to fight the fine print and so should we. See, I wonder if anybody is struggling this morning with control issues, with trying to, to add something on top of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that you probably are, are having this issue of, of circumcision. You're probably not sitting in these seats wondering if you should be circumcised in order to live on as a Christian. I'm not saying that that problem doesn't exist, especially in other regions with other people uh, uh, converting into Christianity from other religions. But I'm saying here and now, in this congregation, we're probably not dealing with those things. But how does that manifest in our lives? 
maybe you're not struggling with circumcision, but maybe you're struggling with the idea that you're not good enough, that there's something that you can do, but you haven't done it yet. Maybe you're, you're struggling with the, the idea that you should serve, but, but maybe you should serve in our children's section, but, but you, you feel like you, you haven't lived your life right as an adult and so that you can't go and offer anything to the children because you, you haven't been enough. You, you're not qualified in some way. Maybe you feel like you're not enough or you're, you're not good enough because you don't know the songs that we sing or, 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 or you don't have the right clothes or the right friends. Maybe you feel like, like you, you, have to, you have to come into the church culture a little bit better in order to qualify for the salvation that Christ wants to provide for you. Maybe no matter how hard you've tried, no matter how, what you've done, no matter how much you've, you've worked at it, you don't feel like you come into the house of God and feel like you can participate in worship and feel like you have a, have a, a fellowship with us because... You, for some reason, things aren't right in your life. You feel like you can't make the connection because you don't feel like you're part of the family of God. And so that you, when you walk into God's house, you don't feel like it's your house too where you should meet up with, with the other people of God. You don't feel like you fit in no matter how hard you work at it. But I want to tell you this morning that the only thing that it takes for you to fit in, to feel like you are a part of who we are, is by trusting the Lord Jesus with your heart with your life, repenting of your sin, turning away from your old lifestyle and running after him with everything that you have, everything else, everything else is side issues. It's salvation in your trust with Jesus. We continue to read verse three. The church sent delegates to Jerusalem and stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the other believers. They told them much to everyone's joy that the Gentiles, too, were being converted. Man, this is exciting news. The Gentiles are being converted, and we find out in Scripture that everybody that heard this news is so excited, they're filled with joy, they're ecstatic, because God is doing a work among people that didn't have a chance before. I think from this text, we can take a couple of things. One of the things, the big things that we can take is that some people bring joy wherever they go, while others bring joy whenever they go. Think about that for a second. Does your presence and your testimony bring people joy and encourage people? Or when you share your testimony with somebody else, do they feel like they need to up their meds on depression? Do, do, do they feel like, do they feel, like they, they, they feel better when you leave? Because I want to tell you right now that a true gospel message, a true testimony encourages people. It pro provides a sense of hope and a directionality pointing to Jesus and Jesus to God. But there are those other testimonies. You know what I'm talking about. Praise the Lord. Things have just been terrible in my life. Praise the Lord, things have just been going wrong. Now I'm just going to trust him. But I, I want you to know something, that our testimony should be filled with life and encourage other people. That we should be able to give the sense of hope that we have in Jesus to others as we share with them. We read on in verse 4 through 6. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done for them 
But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, the Gentiles converted must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve these issues. Here we are, they, fall, they came into Jerusalem, and here they are, they're standing, and the trial begins, and we see that Paul and Barnabas are standing as the defendants and the accusers, the Judaizers. And what is to be done? It's tense. The courtroom is filled. And they begin to present their case. I'm not exactly sure what the case for the Judaizers was because the Bible doesn't record what they had to say. But maybe just throughout the centuries, we've included some of our own things to add to the gospel. Maybe we've tried to add water baptism. You can be saved if you trust Jesus, but you have to be baptized as well. Can I tell you something? That Christ's legacy, we don't believe that you have to be water baptized in order to be saved. It's an it's a issue of obedience in our hearts. It's an issue that the Lord commanded us to, but it is a secondary issue of salvation. You're saved by trusting Jesus, by repenting. That's it. There's no plus, there's no fine print. That's it. Other people would say it's keeping the Sabbath. The Sabbath is actually Saturday, not Sunday. There's some denominations and movements that would suggest that we are not saved because we don't worship God on the Sabbath day. Can I tell you that's a secondary issue? We should feel freedom to worship God when and where we want to. Some denominations would say speaking in tongues is conditional upon salvation. Even though we're Pentecostal, speaking in tongues doesn't make, mean you're saved. It doesn't mean you're saved. Receiving the Eucharist. This is a Catholic doctrine of communion. Celebrating the Lord's Supper with his cup and with his bread, his body and his blood. I've had many Catholic friends that it, when I asked them when they got saved, it was through the celebration of their first communion. Friends, can I tell you that that's not when we're saved. It's a, a decision that we make in our hearts to follow Christ, to repent of our sins. Others would say it's being a good person. How many Christians out there do you believe that believe that being a Christian means that you have to be a good person. This is not a salvation thing. This is a walking in obedience out of joy and a love thing, but it's not a salvation thing. Can I tell you that there are many days that I have not been a good person, but I've been a Christian. There are many moments in my life that are still to come that I will strive to be a good person, but I will fail but I will still be saved because of God's grace in my life. It's believing in Jesus, repenting of your sins, trusting him in his, with your life, plus nothing else, nothing. 
So whatever argument that they made, it was not important. Whatever they said was not important because what was really truly important was what Peter and James argued after. Verse 10, so why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to, to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of our Lord Jesus. See, the Jews couldn't keep the law themselves, but God has already spoken on the issue. God has already spoken about salvation. He has already de declared what it means to be saved. I wanna stop right here and parenthetically insert another message that what kind of thing could we avoid? What kind of sin, what kind of temptation, what kind of, what kind of trouble in our life could we avoid if we knew God's word just a little bit better in our life? What kind of healing? could come to our heart? What kind of brokenness could be bound? What, what, what kind of thing in our life could be set right because we believed God's word and we knew God's word? See, from the beginning of the law, when Moses brought it down in Exodus chapter 20 with the 10 commandments to verse 32, whenever they began to set up a, a golden calf to worship before Moses could even get down, Israel failed with trying to maintain the law. To the very last account that we have in the Old Testament about Israel trying to, to keep the law, we see Nehemiah running around beating people over the head with, with a, a, a wooden rod and pulling their hair out because the people of the law couldn't keep the law. Now, I will not be pulling anybody's hair out in here, but I want you to know something, that you and I have an inability to keep a law we have to depend on Jesus' work on the cross. Now then, James, the leader, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, stood up after hearing all the arguments and all the presentations, stood up and he said this, and so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Christ's legacy, we're not gonna be a people that makes it difficult for our community to turn to God. We're not gonna put all these requirements and regulations in order for people to come into this church. I don't care who you are in our community, you can come in. You can come in and find a healing word of God. You can come in and find the Holy Spirit that wants to speak directly into your life. You can come in off the street no matter what you're wearing and what you've been doing the night before. You can come in and meet a loving Savior that's ready to change your life for all eternity. Christ's legacy, I wanna tell you something, that we are going to be a church that presents a gospel and nothing else. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight through nine says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is not a gift from, uh, it is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast. See, there's a lot of things that good Christian people may disagree in good faith about. But what we are discussing today is the most fundamental idea about the gospel. It's the question, is Jesus really enough? And I wanna tell you this morning that there is no fine print when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is more than enough. He is good enough. He is good enough for every sin. He is good enough for every shortcoming. He is good enough for every, every error and every problem and every sickness that we have. He is more than enough this morning. If you believe that, would you stand up on your feet? Hallelujah. There were seven things that Jesus said on the cross of Calvary. Seven things. And the last thing Jesus said before he committed his spirit to God was a word, was a phrase. It is finished. When we look at what that really means, it's a Greek term. That means paid in full. There's nothing that you can add. There's nothing more that you can buy. There's nothing more that you need to do. It is done once and for all. You and I have been made right by a sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins. People of God, Stop trying to put something in front of salvation. Stop trying to live your life a little bit more righteously. Stop trying to live your life a little bit better and trust the finished work of Christ. It doesn't mean that we don't walk in obedience. It doesn't mean that we don't give ourselves fully. It doesn't mean that we don't come and repent of our sin. It doesn't mean that our behavior doesn't change, but it, it, what it means is that there's nothing in between you and I, and a loving God when we come to him and give him our lives. Oh my God, help us, Lord, this morning. Help us this morning to understand your word. There's no fine print on a contract of salvation with us. We are saved through faith by grace. This morning, maybe you've come and you're dealing with all sorts of issues, you're dealing with burdens in your life, and you feel like nothing you can do makes it right. I've got bad news and I've got good news. The bad news is there's nothing that you can do. The good news, there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can do. Right now, I wanna take a moment and I want you to put your hand on the neighbor standing next to you on your right and your left. We're gonna pray like a people of God and ask that God would move in this place, tearing down every wall and every barrier to the salvation experience that is for you and is for me. Lord Jesus, Lord, we come to you as a people by faith, Lord, trusting and believing that Lord, you are more than enough. Lord, I pray for each person in this room that has put something between you and them. Lord, and that they have followed a lie of the enemy that said that, that there is more to salvation than, than being saved. That there's more to salvation than trusting you. Lord, I pray, God, that you would rip down that stronghold, that you would tear apart that lie. Lord Jesus, that they would find trust, Lord, in you and in you alone. That your gospel, your good news, would change the very core of who they are. 
Lord, it would set them free from all sorts of bondage. Lord, it would release them from the spirit of religion, Lord Jesus. And it would cause them to come alive in joy, Lord, as you do your work in their very heart and in their very life. Lord, let us, Lord, be a people that are free and in free indeed. Lord, and let us present a gospel message to this community and to its members, Lord, that show them how to be free in you. Lord, we give you our hearts, we give you our lives, and we trust you with everything else. For it's in you, Lord Jesus, we pray these things. Hallelujah. Praise your name. Hallelujah.